uh, this week, I sat down with a couple of friends uh, later in the week, and I said, hey, I need you to help me with something. I'm kind of wrestling through this text, and you know, it's a little challenging, it's a little different. I said, just read it and give me your thoughts. Like, tell me what you think. And so I had them read this passage from John chapter 5, and one of my friends looked at me and said, what? And, uh, it, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's a little challenging. It's not, it's not maybe a, a typical story of healing that we, that we just read last week. Uh, it is a crash course in Trinitarianism. And so when you read it, maybe you get bogged down in some of the details, but I, I don't want you to. I think this passage is important. Russ mentioned that it comes on the back end of a miracle that Jesus uh, performed when he healed an invalid at the pool. Remember, he told him to get up, take his mat, and walk. And uh, when he did that on the Sabbath, the, the fellow Jews saw what Jesus had done and became uh, a little ticked off by what they had seen take place. And so uh, in this passage, uh, Jesus uh, hears the words of the people. They know he has uh, ruffled their feathers a little bit. And the reason that he knows he has ruffled their feathers primarily is because of the preceding verses to the passage that Russ just read. I want to read it again uh, for you or read it for the first time. Verse 16, it says, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This is how I know that the people were upset, because verse 18 says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so what Jesus is doing here is not just performing a miracle. He does that uh, he, clearly, the people see it, uh, but Jesus begins to ruffle feathers and anger the people because he is claiming uh, to be one with the Father. Jesus is claiming to be God. And so what does Jesus do when he hears the words uh, from the people? Well, Jesus does what he often does, and he doubles down, right? He, he removes any and all doubt in terms of how people viewed him or who they thought he was, and he does that by defining the relationship that he has with his own father. Uh, this is what I like to call a classic DTR moment. You know what DTR stands for? Thank you, Dave Burns. Uh, Dave knows. No one else does. Come on. There comes a point in time in any relationship when you have to define the relationship. Maybe you remember what it was like when you were dating for the first time and you met someone and they caught your eye, and so you struck up a conversation, and you were like, hey, and they were like, hey, and, and you, you did what you would do. You know, back in the day, maybe you like, wrote letters or something, or, or you had, <laughs> strange, you had conversations face-to-face <laughs> -face with people, right? And you got to know one another, you asked them questions, maybe you, maybe you even went out once or twice, you grabbed a cup of coffee, maybe had lunch together or dinner, and then there came this time, and I, I don't know if this is just a guy thing, I don't think it is, but we just kind of sit down and we go, hey, can I ask you a question? And she might say, well, sure, anything. And you, you ask, hey, what are we? You're trying to define the relationship. Back in the day, 
like way back in the day, you might say, well, we're, we're going steady. You know, or he gave me his letter jacket. You know, that's a big deal. Uh, you know, back when, uh, when I was a kid, you know, you were, uh, you were seeing someone or you were going out. My parents were always like, oh, where are you going? Because you don't have a car, nor can you drive. Like, I see you, I see you're seeing someone. Like, now you, you may, like, change a Facebook status, or maybe that was years ago. Now you, maybe you, you, go, you go live on Instagram, and you're like, mm, we're together. And you define the relationship. You go, what are we? And you decide, this is what we are. Well, Jesus uh, is defining the relationship that he has with his Father. And there's three things that he, that he mentions that are true about about himself and are true about his father. I want this morning to point out those three observations. I want to discuss two truths that flow out of those three things uh, that we notice. So three observations, two truths that flow out of those three observations. And then I want to discuss a one reality that no one wants to talk about and everybody should. So three observations about the relationship between Jesus and his Father, uh, two truths that flow out of that relationship. And then I want us to discuss, I want us to hear, I want us to think about one reality uh, that no one wants to talk about, but everyone should. Verse 19 says, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only uh, only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son uh, does likewise. So three observations. Observation number one, God the Son uh, does what God the Father does. Jesus uh, does what God uh, does. Jesus is doing more than teaching people that he is playing a heavenly game of Simon Says or follow the leader. Uh, Jesus isn't only emulating the Father. He is one uh, with the Father. Right? So he's not just like God. Uh, he is God. I remember, uh, it was probably a year or two ago, I saw this little video on uh, Tiger Woods uh, and his son Charlie, and they were playing golf. And they were comparing the mannerisms between Charlie, Tiger's son, and his dad. And it was hilarious. They, they were like two peas in a pod. You know, when, when Tiger would hit a ball and twirl his club, uh, Charlie would hit a ball and twirl his club in the exact same way. Uh, the amount of time after Tiger struck the ball to when he reached down to pick up his tee, you could almost time it, and Charlie did the exact same thing. Uh, both of them, when they were walking down the fairway, uh, would, would touch their nose like this in the exact same way. They would chase after a putt that was going in. Exactly the same way. If you were to look at Charlie and you were to look at Tiger, you would go, oh man, like you can tell they're related. Like Charlie is trying to be like his dad. That's not the same way that Jesus tries to be like his father. Jesus is claiming that whatever the father does, the son does likewise. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. I love what one commentator said. He said, it is impossible for the Son to take independent, self-determined action that would set him over and against the Father. 
And so, so Jesus isn't making decisions or operating in such a way that would contradict his Father in heaven. The Father in heaven isn't in heaven looking at his son thinking, well, I don't know if I would necessarily do it that way, but, you know, he's growing up. He's got to make his own decisions. And it, that is not the relationship that exists between the Father uh, and the Son. That is not to suggest that their roles are not uh, unique or different. Uh, when, when you consider the Trinity and you see how uh, the Godhead moves and acts, uh, you see that there are differences uh, with their role, particularly uh, when it comes to uh, redemption. Uh, the Father uh, sends the Son uh, to this earth for you and me. The Son redeems us with His perfect life and death and resurrection. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, applies that redemption uh, to us. Um, that is not to say that the Christian worships three gods. We don't worship three gods. We worship one God who has eternally existed in three persons. God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son, uh, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, James, I did not sign up uh, for a seminary class on the Trinity. Like, I just kind of want some encouragement this morning, something that'll get me through the day and help me start the week. Um, I'll let the Bible nerds argue about the Trinity, but, like, I got to live life. Well, I would, I would beg to differ. I think discussions and talks and wrestling uh, through what Scripture teaches about the Godhead is of the utmost importance, and I'll tell you why. Uh, near the end of last year, uh, Billy, one of the elders here at Christ Point, and I had the opportunity to go to Jordan. And when we were in Jordan, we had the opportunity to visit a number of Syrian refugee families. And we would go, you know, they, would, they would hear about a family that, uh, that maybe needed food or had some practical need. And the church that was there would, would go and present them with some food, present the family with some food. And oftentimes, we would sit in someone's living room. Oftentimes, it was just the dad. Uh, he'd bring out coffee for us, and we would ask him to share his story. And he would share a little bit about his story, and we would have a conversation. And as the Lord would lead, uh, we would talk to him about spiritual things. Our hope and our prayer was that we might have uh, a window, an open door to share the gospel. And so we would, we would do that. We would share the gospel. And I can tell you, um, each and every home that we went into, there was some point when we were explaining the gospel or sharing the gospel where we would see the dad uh, look at us. And even though we didn't know what he was saying, we had a translator there, uh, there was always this point in time where he would hold up three fingers and kind of wave them like this and then point at us. And, and and what he was saying or communicating was, you believe in three gods, and I believe in one God. Well, that's a big deal, and that, that's a game changer. And so who, who God is makes all the difference in the world. And because Jesus came to reveal who he was, uh, to the people so that they might believe and have a life in 
his name. And so this conversation that Jesus is having about what he shares with the Father uh, is not insignificant. Jesus does what the Father does. Second observation, God the Father loves God the Son. God the Father loves God the Son. Verse 20, for the Father loves the Son and he shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these he will show him uh, so that you may marvel. One of the great joys of being a dad is when your kids are little and you're working, they'll oftentimes come up to you and say, what you doing? They, they want to share in your world. There's this little sliver of time, I think, where they, you know, they care about those things. And so they might come up to you and say, what, like, what are you doing? Like, let me into your world. Like, teach me what you know. What you doing? Well, here we're, we're told that the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself is doing. So, so there aren't secrets. It's not as if the Father is keeping something from the Son. And it says the Father loves the Son. God the Father loves God the Son. When he, when he saw Him and He sees Him, He was pleased with who He was and what He did. Early in Jesus' ministry when He was baptized, uh, Scripture records the Holy Spirit descended on Him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved Son. Uh, with you I am well pleased. God the Father deeply and perfectly loved His Son. He was proud of His Son. We see this in the front end of Jesus' earthly ministry. We see it on the back end of His earthly ministry. In Matthew 17, verse 5, uh, at the transfiguration, it says, And He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the, the cloud said, This is my uh, beloved Son with whom I am well pleased listen to him. Uh, if you have ever had the, the joy of having a father uh, look you in the eye and say to you, like, son or daughter, I am proud of you, and I'm, I'm well pleased with you. And those, those are life-giving words. God, the father looked at his son and said, man, I love you, and I am well pleased with you. Theologian D.A. Carson writes, The love of the Father for the Son is displayed in the continuous disclosure of all He does to the Son. And the love of the Son for the Father is displayed in the perfect obedience that issues in the cross. The love of the Father and of the Son is displayed uh, in different ways, but it's not less significant. The Father, out of love for His Son, shows Him all He does the Son demonstrates His love for His Father through His obedience. The Son, by His obedience to His Father, is acting in such a way that He is revealing the, uh, revealing the Father, doing the Father's deeds and performing the Father's will. The Son is exegeting or narrating the Father. Secondly, this marvelous disclosure of the nature and character of God depends not on God's love of us, but on the love of the Father for the Son, and on the love of the Son for the Father. So I said I wanted to make three observations about the relationship between the Son and the Father. Number one, the Son does what the Father does. Number two, the Father loves the Son. 
And the Son loves the Father. And third observation, God the Father and God the Son give life. Verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Jesus, in saying this, is claiming uh, to be God. The Old Testament writers presupposed that the act of raising people from the dead was the prerogative of God alone. Second uh, Kings chapter 5, verse 7 says, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? In Jewish traditions, rabbis would teach that there are three things that only God uh, can do. Uh, God holds the keys to the rain, he holds the keys to the womb, and he holds the keys to the resurrection of the dead. And so Jesus is saying to the people that, like, me and the Father are one. The Father raises people from uh, the dead. I uh, do the same. The Father gives life, I give life. And the Son does this to whom he is pleased to give it. Although the Son can do nothing by Himself, His will, His pleasure, His choices are so completely at one with the Father that it is no less true to say that the crucial decisions are His. Jesus is no more a mere instrument of divine power. Just as He chose one man out of the crowd of ill people by Bethesda, so He also chose those to whom He gives life. We see this now, later in the Gospel of John, in, in, uh, when, when Jesus raises Lazarus uh, from, uh, from the grave, I think we're going to get there in about two and a half years. Um, so, no, it's not going to be that long. Uh, but, but Jesus raises Lazarus uh, from, uh, from the, the grave and demonstrates that, uh, that he has power over, over death. Right? So don't lose sight of what is happening here. Uh, Jesus is not trying to get us bogged down in the details. He's not trying to lose us or confuse us. Uh, Jesus is revealing himself uh, to the people. There were people who listened to his teaching that were interested in it, but were a little bit on the fence. Uh, there were other people who heard the teachings of Jesus and bought in and followed him. There were other people who heard the teachings of Jesus who were furious and wanted to kill him. And so Jesus is revealing himself to the people and essentially saying, hey, if you're going to make a decision about me, I want you to make a decision about me based on who I am. And he is saying that, that he, Jesus, and the Father are one. So three observations about the relationship between the Father and the Son. Number one, the Son does what the Father does. And number two, the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. And number three, I'm God the Father, and God the Son give life. So three observations. Now I want us to think together, okay, um, if that is true, if those three observations are accurate, I think they are, I think I made them up, they're right there in the text, then, uh, then what, what sort of difference does it make? Like why does it matter? Some people will talk about, hey, when you read scripture, ask the question, like, so what? Like what, like, what difference does it make? Is God calling us to think a certain way or or to feel a certain way? Is there something that God is calling us to do, something that He wants us to know? Well, two truths that flow out of that relationship between Jesus and His Father, two things that are true. Uh, number one, if you know uh, Jesus, you know God. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. Inseparable. You can't say that, yeah, I don't know about Jesus, but I love the Lord. It's not the God of the Bible. 
Verse 22, for the father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. And so to know Jesus is to know God. If you don't know Jesus, uh, you don't know God. So to reject the Trinity is to reject the God of the Bible. And number two, if you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. If you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Um, That means, like practically speaking, that for the believer, the penalty for sin, for your sin and for my sin, for for those who trust in Christ, has been paid for uh, by Jesus in full. It's been paid in full. Every sin that has been committed in the past or in the present or in the future uh, is covered by the blood of Jesus. This is why Paul writes in Romans uh, chapter 8 and says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. No condemnation for the Christian. That means right now, like right now, the now there means right now and in the future. So when, when God looks upon the believer, he does not think to himself, you need to think about what you've done. When you did that, when you said that, when you thought that, like what were you thinking? There, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, that does not mean that we are not broken over sin. That does not mean that we don't experience uh, consequences for decisions that we've made. It does not mean that we should not pursue and chase after holiness in the Christian life. It does not mean that. What it does mean What it does mean is that in Christ, in Christ, you will not stand before the God of the universe and be judged for your sin because Jesus paid for it. Paul writes, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding, who indeed is interceding for us. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture to think that, that Jesus is interceding for uh, his sons and his daughters. What freedom that offers you and offers me. To have Christ is to have life, and to not have Christ is to not have life. This is what Scripture teaches. Um, I said I wanted to make three observations I wanted to give two truths that flow out of those observations. So three observations. The Son does what the Father does. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. Uh, God the Father and God the Son give life. Uh, Two truths. If you know Jesus, you know God. If you don't know Jesus, 
you don't know God. If you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. Now, I want us to think about uh, one reality uh, that nobody uh, wants to talk about, but everyone should. Right? Nobody wants to talk about this, and, and we should. We should talk about it more than we do. I'm going to read verses 25 through 39 again, and I want to share the one reality. It's right here in the text. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Now as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear, the vo hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil uh, to the resurrection of judgment. So here, here's the one reality that nobody talks about and everyone should. And that one reality is this. Um, we, we all die. We all die uh, and we will all be raised. This is, true, this is true of all of us. I get it. Like <laughs> You're going like, hey, I got a busy week next week. Like, I don't need that reminder. We don't... We don't regularly think about this, we arrange our lives in such a way where we don't have to think about it. We, we know it happens. We've heard stories. Maybe it's hit home for us. We've lost a loved one, something we, someone we care deeply about. So we, we get it. We know it. We know it happens. Like deep down inside, I think we assume that it's going to happen to us someday. But oftentimes, it just it seems so far out there that we, we don't give much consideration. In the introduction to his book, Remember Death, author Matthew McCullough writes about the story of Louis Zamperini. Are you familiar with the story of Louis Zamperini? It's, yeah, man, it's an amazing story. Maybe you've seen the movie, maybe you've read the books, perhaps you've come across an article. If you haven't read the book, the book... The book, you should read the book. You really should. He writes this, Matthew McCullough writes this about Louis Zamperini. It isn't difficult to see why Zamperini's biography, Unbroken, has sold millions of copies. It is a captivating story, very well told. And in a way, it makes sense that the book's subtitle calls it a story of survival. It is, or rather, it was. Nearly 70 years after his return from war, Zamperini faced what his family called the greatest challenge of his life, a 40-day battle with pneumonia. According to those who stood beside him, his abdominal uh, courage, fighting spirit were never more apparent. But as, 90, but as a 97-year-old, his body was a far cry from the specimen that competed in the 1936 Olympic Games. Worn down by time, the man who fought off starvation and shark attacks and deadly dysentery and sadistic prison guards finally entered a battle he could not survive. On July 2nd, 2014, Louis Zamperini died. 
Laura Hildenbrand's account of Zamparini's life works as a survival story because the book concludes in 2008. At one level, calling Zamparini's or anyone else's story a survival story is like describing a fall from a 30-story building, a survival story, because it ends before the subject hits the ground. McCullough writes, death is a fundamental human experience, uniting all humans across time and space, race and class. But in our time and place, death isn't something we think about very often, if at all. But Jesus doesn't shy away from the subject. He understands the world that we live in. And so he says uh, to those who will listen, truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. Uh, who will be raised by Jesus? Verse 28 tells us all who are in the tombs. And who does that include? Verse 29 tells us those who are raised to life and those who are raised to judgment, believers and unbelievers. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, uh, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. When the apostle Paul uh, stood before Felix, he said in Acts chapter 24, verse 15, uh, there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Uh, this is very sobering news uh, for us. The reality uh, that we all face death and there are no exceptions. It is sobering and for the Christian, it is life-giving. Uh, one day we will be raised uh, by the power of the word of Jesus. Truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear uh, will live. This is how we will be raised we will be raised by the power of the voice of Jesus. The words of Jesus are powerful. The words that created the universe, that simply spoke and the world was. Hebrews 1.3 says that he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. I mean, just think about that. God creates the world by the word of his power. And that same voice, that same word will one day call you and me out of the grave. Uh, what Jesus is teaching the people is that this reality, the reality of death and the reality of resurrection is something that is true of all of us. And he also says the hour is coming, it's coming, and is now here. When Jesus said the hour is coming and is now here, Jesus was teaching the people that his earthly ministry in some way would characterize the world that is to come. What people were experiencing when Jesus was here on this earth is something that we will experience in the age to come. He healed sick people on earth because there will be no sickness in the age to come. He raised 
three people from the dead because in the age to come, there will be no death. Nobody gets a phone call. Nobody will get a phone call that will change their life forever. Nobody will hear in that day, I'm sorry, it's cancer. Nobody will be told, I'm sorry, she didn't make it. No relationship will be beyond the repair of Jesus. There will be no doldrums, no depression, no discouragement, no life-altering disability. There will be no worry and no fear, no financial stress or strain, no heartache and no heartbreak. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he said in John eleven twenty five and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is teaching the people like the, the resurrection hour is here. This is a foretaste. It is an appetizer uh, for what is to come in life. And that is what we long for as humans in a fallen and a broken world. John 11, verses 43 through 44, he cried out with a loud voice and said, Lazarus, uh, come out. And the man uh, who had died came out. And his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said, do not marvel at this. Uh, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil uh, to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus is not teaching that you earn salvation. Uh, salvation is by grace and it's through faith. And God has saved us and he's rescued us for uh, good works. Our good works do not save us. Scripture teaches us uh, that we are, are sinners, that we were born into sin. And that God is just and is holy. He can't ignore our sin. He can't sweep it under the rug. He doesn't sit in heaven and go, we all struggle with that one. God is just, and so he must deal with our sin. And he did, but he did it by sending his holy and perfect son, Jesus, fully God and fully man, uh, to this earth to live a perfect life, to die a sinner's death, to be buried, and to be raised again, defeating death and offering life uh, to you and to me. Jesus is not out uh, to confuse the people. This is not a gotcha text. Jesus is trying to do just the opposite. Jesus is teaching the people that to know him is to know uh, the Father. To know him is to have life. He is teaching us that the Son does uh, what the Father does, and the Father loves the Son, and God the Father and God the Son give life. And if you know Jesus, you know God. And if you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. And if you have Jesus, you have life. And if you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. We all, one day, we will die, and there are no exceptions. And in the midst of death, Jesus offers life. And that is the best news anyone could ever receive. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I pray that you would have that life today. Would you pray with me? Father God, we 
Uh, we want that. I want that. I want that uh, for uh, your people. For those who are far from you, who don't know you, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would give them spiritual eyes to see. Lord, I pray that you would pour faith into their hearts. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would do a miraculous work uh, in their lives of bringing them from spiritual death uh, to spiritual life. Uh, God, we give you thanks for your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you uh, for uh, your sacrifice here on earth. Thank you uh, for the life that is offered in and through you. Uh, God, we give you thanks this morning. Thanks for your living and active word. I pray that you would use it uh, to form and shape and change us for all of eternity. God, we love you because you loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.